Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash Lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless and welcome to the State of the Union podcast where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This week, we'll be diving into the return of the U.S. men's national team. Ah! Also have our uh, international roundup, which uh, includes all the international games going on over in Europe, Comnibol, all sorts of stuff uh, in terms of uh, World Cup qualifying. We'll talk about the Queen's Gambit, maybe some community, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light. David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Tuesday? We're recording on Tuesday, not Monday, Tuesday, November 17th. Uh, thank you for bearing with us as we took an extra day just to kind of get in the second uh, U.S. men's national team game to be able to talk about that. How are you, Mossy, on this Tuesday, November 17th in the year 2020? I'm doing well. We have a laundry list of television things to talk about. Uh, <laughs> the main event is uh, your review of the Queen's Gambit. So let's save that for last. And I'd okay. like to run through some stuff on my end first, which is uh, a couple of things that you recommended. Uh, I went back and watched. I did watch the documentary about the Challenger explosion, which mm -hmm. I thought was very well done, very powerful, very infuriating at times. Also, uh, the uh, Netflix true crime doc, Who Killed Maria Marta, which I feel like we could do an entire podcast on the Argentinian judicial system because the courtroom scenes were some of the most bizarre television I've ever seen in my life. Agreed, a hundred percent on that. There's, I'm not, I'm not giving anything away, but it obviously is, um, you know, it focuses a lot in the courtroom scenes in Argentina, and there's a point, I kid you not, where there is a a woman testifying. And she's talking about a conversation that she had with a friend. And, and she's saying one thing and implying that the friend is lying in terms of her response. And the next scene we get is her friend in the courtroom, almost putting, pulling up this chair next to her, rebutting. <laughs> it is the strangest thing in the world relative to the courtroom scenes that we've seen in, in our court of law. It actually cuts right to the core because you actually have this 
what amounts to a, a, a conversation and a debate and almost an argument as part of the proceedings that, you know, they call it, I think they call it the, uh, an oral lawsuit and an oral type of thing. And it is literally people talking, not just to the, uh, to the judge, to the judges, but to each other. It's a very, very strange concept, but I can see how it can get to the truth, but I can also see how it can lead to all sorts of confusion. I am also off and running on season four of The Crown. Uh, I've watched the first couple of episodes. So far, so good. We are up to the 80s. So it's Margaret Thatcher, Princess Diana. Interesting stuff. I am chugging along on The Undoing, which is that Hugh Grant, Nicole Kidman HBO show. Uh, watched the fourth episode uh, this past Sunday, uh, two more to go. I gave a, a review last week that, that some, including my father, interpreted as lukewarm, uh, but I didn't mean it uh, like that. It was just I was coming off talking about Queen's Gambit, and I didn't want to have the same exact level of excitement for this show, but it is a very good show. I highly recommend it as well. And also, I watched the first two episodes of this new HBO show, Industry, which is about this group of young people who are trainees at this big London investment firm. It's got a bit of a Wolf of Wall Street kind of feel to it. I haven't totally figured out what to make of this show yet. Two episodes in, I'm, I'm not sure how much I like it, but it's keeping me interested. Uh, so that's a lot of stuff on my end, but uh, none of it compares to the Queen's Gambit, which I still say is one of the best shows of 2020. And I know you finally got around to watching it. Yeah, I would not say it's one of the best shows in 2020. Uh, I don't know the name of the young actress uh, in it, but she's she's wonderful. And I know there's multiple actresses uh, depending on her age. But for the most part, this actress this actress does a wonderful job. Uh, it, it's and once again, we don't want to give away too much. But guess what? There's not a whole lot to give away, to be quite honest with you. It is. Remember how Seinfeld used to be? Uh, it was was defined as a show about nothing. It's this is almost a a movie a series I know it's a series but it's just a, a an extended type of movie about nothing or or the something is there you get it and then it just doesn't quite move anywhere for me and it's fictitious and and in a strange way that from it hurts that it's fictitious uh, in the way that I that I view it so I was not as I, look, I watched the whole thing and I thought it was interesting and well done, but I was not as as into it as you seem to uh, to have been. What what grabbed you about it? Other than for those that don't know, it's it, it involves a a young woman who uh, goes through all sorts of trials and tribulations from childhood to become uh, a world class and world champion chess player. Yeah, I found uh, her to be a very compelling character. And I love the chess scenes, even though I'm not a big chess guy, I didn't completely understand what was going on, but still I thought they did it in a way where it made it uh, very dramatic. Um, you know, it's funny, my dad told me that back uh, during the sort of Bobby Fischer uh, period, it did set off this chess craze around the world. And, and it, even in Brazil, walking around the streets, you'd see people at parks and beaches, sitting at tables, playing chess all day. And so that very last scene of the show where she's taking a stroll around uh, Moscow, I believe it was, and, and, and it comes upon these Russians just playing chess mm -hmm. in a park. It actually rang true to him because that's actually the way things were. Uh, so, so I thought that was interesting as well. It sort of captured an interesting time in the world where chess was this global phenomenon. So. Yeah, I mean, this is in a long line of, of movies and, and TV that have tried to make something that traditionally and on the surface does not seem that sexy or exciting and, and tried to make it exciting. Um, I don't necessarily think that it does. I didn't leave saying I have to play chess and this is the most <laughs> exciting thing in the world or or that I have to go and watch one of these chess things. I mean, I think that that wears off after a while. Yes, the initial amazement of going to a 
I don't even know what they call it, a chess tournament, I guess, uh, and seeing, you know, all the, the, the inner workings of how something like that happens and dispelling some of the myths uh, and the preconceived notions that you may have, that, that only lasts so long. And then you're, you're still looking at two people moving the chess pieces. And I, I, I get it. Um, you know, I, I, I played chess, but it didn't, like I said, it didn't, it didn't go over the way that it went over for you. I, I will say, um, before we, before we move on, and I know we've, we've extended this, but, you know, indulge us, please. Uh, I have, I have started, uh, and I'm knee deep into the second or third season now of a show called Community. Have you ever heard of this show? I'm aware of it. I don't watch it. Okay. So uh, again, this is either the best show that has ever been written for television. It's episodic or the most ridiculous show ever. And it, and it vacillates back and forth between <laughs> the two. And that's probably why it was popular in that it had a, an extended run, but not over popular because it, I, I guess it, it is irregular. Um, and erratic in the way and, and inconsistent in its greatness. And that's, that's all I can say about that. It stars uh, uh, Joel McHale, um, Chevy Chase is in it. Donald Glover, who I'm told also is, uh, goes by the name uh, Childish Gambino uh, in, in, uh, in his artistic form. So um, a really good cast, a really interesting ensemble that I didn't watch at the time. And it just kind of started watching it and have never have now not stopped. And I kind of have to go through it all right now. But I'm at a loss as to whether this is the most amazing show or the worst show that I've ever seen in my life. So I, I don't know if that's an endorsement. I don't know if you should check it out, but, but it maybe for those curious out there, you can answer that question for me as to what it actually is. Uh, one see? last bit of television news. Do you remember an HBO show earlier this year, the outsider uh, yes. uh, based on a Stephen King novel, it was mm -hmm. this murder mystery and people were getting accused of committing crimes. And it was actually these evil alter egos and spirits and such. And, and uh, I know you're not shedding a tear for this because you were not uh, that big of a fan of that show. And frankly, I didn't love it either. I liked it more than you did, but I didn't love it. Uh, but HBO announced that it's not coming back for season two. And, and I don't know if you remember this, but it ended on a bit of a cliffhanger because Holly, the woman that was trying to you know, solve this whole mystery, in the very last scene, she's in the bathroom and she notices that she has the cuts on her arm that would indicate that now she's been... Uh, you know, enveloped by these evil spirits or whatnot. Uh, so, it, and although we didn't love it, this show got very good ratings and very good reviews and, and everybody assumed there would be further seasons to come and HBO announced that uh, it's not to be. So that was actually somewhat surprising news in the television world. Well, I think at the time we said that that show jumped the shark uh, massively <laughs> at the end when it got all, uh, you know, surreal and, um, you know, space agey and, uh, <laughs> you know, ridiculous. Um, but you know what is you know what has not jumped the shark, Mossy, is uh, the U.S. men's national team. Are you ready to light this candle, my friend? Yes. All right, let's get it. Okay, so as I said in the open, we delayed the uh, recording of this podcast for a specific and I think good reason. Uh, we finally saw the U.S. men's national team in 2020 return to play two games, one in uh, in uh, in the U.K. against Wales and uh, the second in Austria against Panama. Undefeated, if you will, with a 0-0 result against Wales and then followed up by a 6-2 trouncing of, uh, of Panama. Last time we saw the US team was at the beginning of this year. So it's been almost a year, basically. A lost year, if you will, for Greg Berhalter and company. And now they come back on the field. Mossy, would I be right to say that the general reaction from the United States 
soccer community out there uh, um, relative to this return is one of um, continued excitement, one that uh, we are justified in our, our, our excitement and in our hope and in our belief and in our optimism uh, regarding this team. And I think maybe uh, more importantly, just a general sense of it's fun to watch this team. Now, whether it's fun to watch this team just because they're finally back, I think it's more so it's just fun to watch this team. And that fun that has been missing for a while is at least back for the time being. And that is a good thing. Certainly in 2020, we need as much fun as we can possibly get. Is that an accurate portrayal of the way that people are, are feeling right now? Do you think about this team? It is, and I share that sensation. I thought this was a very positive two games for the U.S. I knew it wasn't going to be perfect uh, given the circumstances, uh, but you wanted to come out of these two games, as you mentioned, with this sense that uh, all your excitement was validated, that there is a lot of talent there, a lot of potential. The pieces are there for Greg Berhalter to accomplish what he's trying to accomplish. I remember you said uh, a while back that he was trying to paint the Sistine Chapel with crayons, uh, but I think now there's a sense to, to carry that analogy uh, further that uh, he does have a nice palette to work with, some some very good painting materials. And, and now the things that he's trying to achieve don't seem that far-fetched. Okay, so yes, uh, to your point, I do think that Greg Berhalter's uh, set of tools, if you will, is much greater and I think of much better quality than a year ago, two years ago. And that's a, that's a good thing because he is trying to do something, uh, to do something different. Um, okay, let's, let's separate out the two games. Let's take the, uh, the game against Wales first. And by the way, uh, and I said this on the broadcast, in November 2020, despite all of the challenges and the difficulties and obstacles that have uh, come our way in 2020, you should still expect your men's national team to beat the likes of Wales, and certainly this type of Wales team that they put out, and Panama. Notwithstanding the fact that you know Panama qualified for the last World Cup, uh, and the US didn't qualify for the last World Cup, there is still a recognition that when we play against what I would consider inferior opposition, that we should find a way to win, even while we're working through it. They didn't find a way to win against Wales. And the interesting, I think, part and, and narrative when it comes, comes to that game is that Greg Berhalter uh, played a false nine in the form of Sebastian Legette. Not really fair to Sebastian Legette, but you, you go and you, if you're on the field, that's, that's great. But there was not a traditional type of striker there. We know that Josh Sargent, uh, who was originally scheduled to be in camp, wasn't, uh, wasn't there. And the likes of uh, Joe Aquini, was on the bench and Soto, and they will come come into play later on. Uh, first off, Masi, what were your react? What was your reaction to the decision by Greg Berhalter to play this uh, false nine type of uh, of formation? It was the only strange thing he did in the two games, frankly. Uh, as you mentioned, Sebastian Legette wasn't even in the original squad. Uh, he gets drafted in because Josh Sargent doesn't get released by Werder Bremen, and it's almost like uh, Berhalter felt like. There's so much youth here from the midfield up that I just need a veteran in there to be a stabilizing force, and I'm going to shoehorn him any way I can. And it just didn't really make any sense. Uh, you know, I would have liked to have seen one of those young strikers in, in, in the squad get a chance in that game also. Uh, and so, yeah, that was, in, like I said, it was overall very positive two games. Uh, that lineup choice uh, in the first game was the only 
negative thing that that, that bothered me. It, it would be one thing if it was just a, a personnel decision that I might have disagreed with, but this is kind of fundamental. Okay. We, we recognize that 2020 is a lost year. Greg Berhalter is the first person to tell you that it's, it's already a limiting type of situation to be a national team coach. And then you only have a couple of games here and, and very limited time with these players. What, I don't understand why we would try to do that, uh, especially when we have, albeit young and inexperienced nines and, and strikers that play that position in camp. And if you're, if you're not going to do it, that's like, that's like something that you add to your arsenal further on down the line for just a rainy day type of situation. And while it did rain <laughs> against Wales, I don't think that this was that rainy day type of situation. So uh, to your point, you're absolutely right. This was, this was a head scratcher and more than a head scratcher. However, but you move on. People that, that uh, did themselves, that came out of this better. I'm talking about Serginho Dest proved that uh, at the right back position, which is where he played in this game, he is the one of the most important players on the field, especially in the way that he not only gets forward, but is given the ability to get forward uh, and carte blanche basically on that right-hand side. So he, he was great. John Brooks showed that he is the starter at that left center back position. Uh, I thought he was wonderful in, in distribution. Once again, Wales didn't throw a whole lot at us. And as a matter of fact, they just kind of gave us the ball time and time again, which is, which is fine. You play the team that's on the field. I did not think uh, Conrad de la Fuente showed well. And look, you have that label of being a Barcelona player. You expect more. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that is fair. If you're on the books at Barcelona, we always, we know that it doesn't necessarily translate uh, all the time, but you know, somebody like Barcelona has seen your quality and he did not have a great showing. So he did not improve his stock. Uh, and, and all that left side also, uh, Anthony Robinson at left back also did not uh, help his case uh, and just kind of showed us again how that left back position is something that we haven't filled now for a number of years and we still haven't filled it uh, when it comes to, uh, uh, to the national team. Gio Reyna uh, in his first appearance for the national team at times looked tentative but didn't look out of place and I think that's the best that you can hope for Gio Reyna. Uh, coming into a situation like this. Didn't phase him by any stretch of the imagination, but he didn't dominate. And he certainly didn't look like the player that we see in a much more familiar uh, setting uh, when he plays for Borussia Dortmund. But that's, that's going to take time. You know, I think that the Weston McKinney, Adams, and Musa central midfield there, that's really where we looked at as, hey, this is something to build on. Uh, in particular, Weston McKinney, who was everywhere and everything and proved once again that he is one of the first people you put on Tyler Adams to a, a lesser ex extent, but not any less of importance. He just, it was a little more understated uh, in the way that he plays, but equally as important. And then Musa as a possibility, both as a player and uh, developing, that was a nice little trio that we saw there that continued on into the second game. Am I missing anything when it comes to uh, the players there and, and uh, the game against Wales? Uh, no, no. Uh, I mean, I know you want to go game by game. I have some big picture thoughts that encapsulate both games. So okay, well, let's, let's, just, let's just go right into the, uh, the the next game there where Greg Berhalter did change and actually play a nine and one that was in camp in, uh, in the form of uh, Giochini. Uh, and it resulted in two goals. Uh, now, look, uh, he 
again started Reina, again started the same three in the midfield. Dest moved to the left-hand side and proved that he is both the best right back and left back that the United States men's national team has right now. Cannon started on the right-hand side. I thought he was he was good. I didn't think he was great. Stu Holden seemed to think he was great. Uh, I'm fine with, with Reggie Cannon playing on that right-hand side, but it's, it's certainly not Dest-esque uh, yet. And I don't think that Tim Ream and Matt Miazga in the back did themselves any favors in terms of pushing for starting positions when everybody is back and that whole contingent. Zach Steffen continues on. I didn't think he did anything wrong and we scored goals. And that's what we wanted in terms of the difference between that first game to the second game. Created one shot against Wales and then we, we score six goals and start bombarding Panama. Panama's not a great team. I get that, but we can use that excuse on, on everything. They scored the goals, not only the goals in terms of uh, Giochini scoring his two goals, uh, Joe Acchini, sorry, uh, I couldn't get that pronunciation right. And then Gio Reyna scoring from a set piece. So check off uh, striker scoring goals, check off set pieces. Nope, not a problem. And a young player like uh, Reyna probably felt good for him. Also check off substitutions. You you put players into the game to make an impact. And when Soto comes in, scores two goals and Leggett comes off the bench and scores a goal, uh, all in all, a overall positive performance against an inferior opposition. So congratulations to the men's, the U.S. men's national team for doing what you are expected to do against inferior opposition. Well, first off, this, I suppose, is a good problem to have, but it's something to think about nonetheless moving forward. Uh, if there is an MLS player that people seem intent into shoehorning into this lineup, it's Jordan Morris. You, know, you hear people say, well, okay, it's going to be mostly European-based, but Jordan Morris is a guy that has to be in there. And in order to do that, Reyna has to be one of the midfield three. The projected lineup I've seen is Adams, McKinney, and Reyna as the midfield three, and then Pulisic and Morris on the wings and a center forward. And the emergence of Yunus Musa does throw a little bit of a wrench into that because now I'm seeing a lot of people say, oh, this is the midfield three we got to go with, with Adams, McKinney, and Musa. And that pushes Reyna into one of those front three positions. So now presumably you have uh, Reyna and Pulisic floating behind the center forward and no room for Jordan Morris. Uh, wh what do you make of that? Well, first off, Jordan Morris doesn't have to start. And by the way, Gio Reyna doesn't have to start. In my ideal 11, you know, I think, I think that Musa is... You know, we, we talk about the, uh, you know, the recruiting process for some of these dual nationals, and he still hasn't committed to us. But I think that he proved that it is worth our time. It is worth our investment in terms of that recruiting process to continue down this road with him. Some, some players, it, it's just, you know, we're, we're not going to spend our time and resources doing that. I think this player has proven very, very quickly that this is someone Yes, it's, he is worthy of our courtship, if you will. But that doesn't mean that he's going to start. I like that trio in the midfield. But if you're asking me my ideal lineup, I think Gio Reyna, if, if you believe that Gio Reyna should start, then for me, you have to start him in the middle. Because that's where I think he is most comfortable. And that's where I think he's going to get most touches. And that's where I think he's going to do the most damage. I don't think that playing him out on the right, and even when we say play him on the right, the minute the whistle blows, he goes wherever he wants and he cuts inside and Dest uh, does a lot of that overlapping on that right-hand side. But I still, if I had to make a, a lineup today uh, that included Gio Reyna, I'm putting him in the middle and part of that three and Musa's out. And it's going to be interesting to see how well Reyna and Pulisic mesh because 
Uh, I did think Reyna was at his best in these two games when he drifted towards that left side, and that's where Pulisic likes to operate. So that is something to consider. Reyna was nominally playing on the right wing, but as you, as you said, when, when the game starts, he's given freedom to go wherever he wants, and he seemed to feel a lot more comfortable when he was drifting towards that left side. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's a testament to how much talent the U.S. has that I honestly didn't find myself thinking about Christian Pulisic that much mm-hmm. uh, during these two games. But still, he is a guy that could take this whole thing to another level. And so it's very important that Berhalter finds a way for him and Reyna to be able to play comfortably together and both play at their best and one not infringe on the other's ability to, you know, perform at their best. Yeah, this, th- these are all wonderful problems to have. And at a time uh, when we, we want and are begging for something to hold on to and a, a positive story, <laughs> I guess, just in general, Greg Berhalter and company gave it to us. And I think that's what, what comes out after these two games is that the kids are all right. Uh, and this is something that, as I said, is, is worthy of our attention and our continued focus um, and belief that it's going to get better. Now, we're not going to see this group probably till March. Uh, rumor has it, uh, and Greg Berhalter alluded to it, that there's going to be another game in camp at the end of December. Obviously, that'll involve mostly domestic players. And again, there's these these two groups that at some point have to <laughs> coalesce and and meet in the middle. And, and to your point about Jordan Morris and everybody else, there might be some other options that we're not talking about here either up top. Because listen, as much as uh, Joaquini comes in and is now anointed uh, the new goal scorer and star. If we had a World Cup qualifier tomorrow, I'm not comfortable starting starting him. There's still plenty of other players out there. And by the way, some of those other players, whether and you can run through the list, whether it's Jossie Zardes. First off, Jossie Zardes could have scored a hat trick against pa- Panama the other day. Okay, so it's not as if in that moment we needed someone to step up and score and he absolutely did that but that doesn't mean that any of the other players that are out there that potentially could uh could be a part of this team and in that in that position number nine aren't uh aren't people that we should uh, look at i don't i don't look at it as we finally found our goal scorer and uh and we're headed to the promised land and he's going to take us uh, he's going to take us there we've added another potential uh star but another potential goal scorer to that list and it's not it's not a long list and it's not a very deep list right now so that's a you know that's a good thing um uh, all right so let me just say on the center forward position yeah go I ahead. Think it's interesting i'm still uh very high on josh Sargent, and i know that when you have guys now playing for clubs like barcelona and bayern munich and chelsea and juventus a guy on Werder bremen can slip from the consciousness a little bit but i still think he's very important and, and Josh Sargent panning out would really raise the ceiling of this U.S. team the next few years. But I do think the forward position is where you enter into this dilemma of short-term versus long-term thinking because all these other young guys, Pulisic, Reyna, McKinney, Adams, Dest, they're already the best players at their respective positions. So uh, are they going to be better in 2026 than 2022? Probably, but, but you don't feel like you're sacrificing the present for the future by starting them. The forward position is where Greg Berhalter does have an interesting dilemma over the next year or two. Is it more important to give somebody like Josh Sargent reps or still go with somebody like Josie Altador, who on that day might give you the best chance of winning? You know, you, you, Part of me thinks, well, if it's all about the future and young young guys and this fresh start, you go with Josh Sargent. But, you know, he, he's, he's going to have competitive matches coming up and qualifiers and games that where the result really matters. And so that that is a, a tricky dilemma for Greg Berhalter. Mossy, I, this this infuriates me 
and I know you're not necessarily saying this, but there is this notion out there that we should be doing what is best for 2026 and almost bypassing 2022. No, no. Look, I'm not saying we're not looking at 2026, okay? But 2022 is, is crucial. We First off, we need to qualify and we need to do well there, okay? Now, not at the expense of 2026, but Greg Berhalter's job, and I said this before, is 2022. First and foremost, that's what he needs to be thinking of. And I don't think that the American soccer community wants to mail in 2022. I, and, and I don't think that we should. And I don't think we can afford to do something like that. And that, that's not what you're saying, though. I know I, wanna, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but there is this notion out there and you did kind of well, graze but, it in your but even But even the 2022 World Cup is still two years away. So who the better player is now might not be. Are you confident that come November 2022, Josie Altidore will be still better than Josh Sargent? Because I, I know you feel he is now. If the U.S. had a game tomorrow, you would trust Altidore over Sargent. But in two years, you know, that's two more years of mileage on his legs, two more years of Josh Sargent development, you know, you know so that's something. For, Fair, even, that, that's, you don't have to be that far thinking. Fair enough. And I do think, and, you know, I said this on air the other day that, at some point, Greg Berhalter uh, and his staff need to decide who the horses are, who they are going to back, and who is going to be their group. I say it all the time. It's not the, it's not the best players. It's the best collection of players. And whoever that is, it doesn't matter what I say, you say, the fans say, the, any of the media says, if that's who you believe is your best group, then you go with it and you give them a run and you deal with the mistakes that are going to be uh, going to be made. It doesn't mean you're not flexible at times. It doesn't mean that you can't have players that just aren't working out and you have to make a change. But that core group, you have to know it and recognize that there might be some very, very good players that aren't part of that group because you are headed in the in the right direction that you believe is the right direction. That's that's you know, that's OK. That's OK. Other other, other comments about this, because I have a few more. Well, the, la the last thing I had written down here is the Sergino Dest uh, dilemma, which I mm -hmm. think is interesting. Uh, I think first off, uh, Greg Berhalter has to determine if there's, if he's significantly better at right back than left back. Uh, and if not, if you think the difference is negligible and he can be just as effective on the left as on the right, then it's a no brainer to me. You play him on the left and you play Reggie Cannon on the right. But if you think not that he's Sergino Dest is clearly a better right back than left back, then boy, you better feel like Reggie Cannon is like such an upgrade than whoever the left back would be if it's an Anthony Robinson or Sam Vines to justify taking one of your best players in Sergio Des and playing him quote unquote out of position. So that fullback situation is going to be very interesting to see how it plays out the next couple of years. How do you how do you see that? Yeah, and and at some point, I mean, it's still a very small sample size, a wonderful sample size when it comes to to Des, but at some point you kind of want to see him pinned back and you want to see him and this defense on their heels and facing players that are as fast as him, uh, players, that, players that are as clever as him. And that attacking part of his game that is such a huge part of it and, and one of the things that we love about him, if that gets curtailed, what he ultimately uh, looks like. And it may be, to your point, that he is world-class at a right-back level, but just mediocre not mediocre because he's better than mediocre but 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 passable i guess at that left back position and is 
is that enough? If, if, if his entire description uh, and quality and value does rely on his ability to get forward, is he able to do it in equal amounts on the right side and the left hand and the left hand side? I, I don't know. And, and like I said, there's just, we don't have a whole lot of data to kind of show. I mean, he plays for, you know, he's played for everywhere he's been. He's played for the best teams, whether it was in Holland and now in, uh, now in Spain. And we kind of need to see him in those moments where things aren't going, aren't going well. I, I, I'll be interested to see, like you said, what, what that ultimately looks like when it comes to uh, the right or left back position, or if somebody steps up uh, that we don't know about. Uh, anything else, Mossy, uh, on this team or these games? Well, just one last comment on Greg Berhalter. Yep. These were games 20 and 21 in charge for him. He's already coaching a Gold Cup and a Nations League group stage. He's had two games against Mexico. And yet the vibe, it almost felt like it was his first two games in charge. <laughs> uh, strange, because of yeah. the pandemic and because of there being all these new players and the sense that this is the start of something new, he got sort of swept up into that. So I don't know. Are you comfortable with the fact that he more or less gets a mulligan for everything that's happened so far. And now we're kind of going to really start to evaluate him again. There is kind of a reset going on. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, and, and look, I'm, I, it's not his fault. It, it just might be the 2020 biting us in the ass again. And this is just kind of what we have to do. Um, you know, I will say a couple of things about this team. Uh, I was really interested to see the way uh, the American soccer community reacted to Weston McKenney and you know, now this is a Weston McKinney who's playing in Serie A and playing for, for Juventus. And yeah, oh, ragazzi. What was interesting to me, and, you know, I tweeted it out, is, is the irony of what, what is seemingly, from where I stand, what is seemingly resonated with the American soccer community is not necessarily this progressive, romantic, um, modern, new type of, uh, of archetype. It's, it's actually a throwback and much more old school in what he brings. You know, you talk about your, your fight and your spirit and your personality. And these are all traits and characteristics and, and behaviors that were part and parcel and kind of ingrained and expected of this team and in the kind of DNA. And so at a point where we're talking so much about evolving and moving forward, what ultimately stands out is something that's homemade and something that has, I guess, been there all along, but maybe been missing of late. Uh, the other part is, you know, there's this notion that we are now seeing a team with swagger and that we are now seeing a team that's creative, now seeing the team that, that plays with 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 fun and that that never happened before which is not the case there there are plenty of times and moments maybe not yet to this extent uh in that this is going to continue to to evolve but this re-imaging and reshaping uh and almost recasting of history that we've never been we've never had skillful players or we've never had players that have ooed and awed us before or we've never had a player that's megged another player or something like that that's just revisionist, and that's that's not necessarily the case. And that in no way means that people shouldn't be excited and happy about the things that are happening and the swagger that's uh, that's out there and the collective swagger uh, of this group. And then my final thing, Mossy, and I'll give you a chance to rebut or or, or add to any of this, is the assessment, and you, I think you mentioned it, Greg Berhalter right now. Uh, Greg Berhalter, it can be argued, is the most revolutionary 
and evolved um, and different type of coach in terms of his approach that the U.S. men's national team has ever had. Um, this is not necessarily to, you know, a, a, I'm not here defending Greg, uh, Greg Berhalter, but I think it is very, very clear now that he has come in and wanted to do things in a very different way. And as I said, a very, very more, a much more evolved and in certain ways, revolutionary way. And I think at times he's taken criticism for it and it's still a work in progress and we still don't know if it's going to come out uh, on the other side. But I do think that that takes courage. And I do think that that takes a, a self-belief. And I do think even after 2020, he, he has proven that this is what he is going to do. And this is that hill that he is going to stand on and die on if he, uh, if he has to, because he believes in it. And I appreciate that. And I, and I, and I respect that. And in the criticism of Greg Berhalter, and there's plenty of opportunities to criti criticize him fairly, but in the criticism that he is regressive or that he doesn't have the, the wherewithal or the imagination or the creativity to do what needs to be done to bring us to the quote unquote next level, I, I would take another look at what Greg Berhalter is do has done relative to what has been done in the past. Mossy, I know that's a lot, but anything, uh, no, I agree. I, I'm a fan. I know it's a it's an unpopular opinion that, that gets me in trouble on Twitter, but I like Greg Berhalter. Uh, you know, he's sort of it, the, the sky is falling crowd. The last thing they're clinging to is that Greg Berhalter is going to be the one to screw all this up because he's in over his head and was only hired because of who his brother is. And so, yes, the U.S. has all this talent, but what good is it when you have a coach like him? Uh, and I don't feel that way at all. I think he's actually pretty well suited uh, for this group, given what he, the way he's trying to play. And, and so uh, I don't think Greg Berhalter is going to be the problem here. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on him. All right. So in summation, good two games. We're headed in the right direction. Uh, there is reason to justify our optimism and our confidence. And maybe most importantly, there is fun. It was fun watching this team, and hopefully it continues to be fun, especially, as you mentioned, when the likes of Pulisic and the domestic players and everybody comes back in, and Greg Berhalter has some of those difficult but wonderful decisions to be made because of the depth that we have, that we have out there. Um, all right, well, like I said, the next game is, is potentially at the end of uh, December. No idea on the details there, but we'll, we'll get those to you uh, when they do ultimately come out. Uh, Mossy, anything else on the uh, U.S. men's national team? That's it. All right, we're going to take a real quick break. And when we come back, we'll do our international roundup. Uh, we're going to go to Europe. We're going to go to South America and uh, all sorts of stuff that is going on relative to the uh, national team games as it relates to UEFA Nations League and Comitable Qualifying and World Cups and all that kind of stuff. So don't go away. Moving on. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. Uh, we're going to 
delve into uh, what's going on internationally with our international roundup, all sorts of national teams uh, in action all over the world. We're going to focus in on what's going on over in Europe and what's going on in uh, South America with uh, UEFA Nations League and then Commonable Qualifying. Uh, let's start over in Europe, Mossy, with UEFA Nations League injuries first off there's 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 injuries uh that are going on and this i think is going to be a story and a bigger story as we get through 2021 uh with both coaches and clubs and leagues as the congestion starts and um we see these uh these injuries coming through especially when it comes to just adding more and more games and international games in the eyes of a lot of people are unnecessary at this time so injuries is one of the stories uh, going on, Mossy. Uh, thoughts on what's going on right now? Yeah, this whole debate rages on. Now, there, there are some people that are against any kind of international football right now. And uh, I've read some pieces from people like Rory Smith and Tim Vickery that have pointed out that that's a very elitist European view that, you know, in places like South America and Africa, where they, they've sort of uh, grown resigned to the fact that their best players are going to go off to Europe to play at club level over there. Their only time to get to watch these players up close and root them on is during international breaks and international competitions when they're representing those countries. Uh, and, and as Rory Smith has, po has pointed out, actually the, the vast majority of smaller countries around the world are still more passionate about international football than club football. And so those are all things to consider. Um, but you know that that's that's a justifiable defense for uh, the continuance of, of like qualifiers and competitive matches. Where international football then loses a little bit of the argument is we also had some friendlies jammed in during this international break. You had some of these European nations playing uh, two competitive matches and a friendly over this break. And again, the explanation there is that these federations are bleeding money as well, and they have some TV contracts that stipulate that they have to play a certain amount of games, and they're trying to satisfy that. Uh, but nevertheless, that is where, you know, the clubs can look at that and say, boy, do we really need to be playing friendlies right now? So, I mean, are you, do you have any sympathy for that argument or, or no? I, I guess I, I can muster some sympathy for, uh, for it. Uh, you know, this, you know, this gets back to the, the conversation we had about potentially moving the 2022 World Cup to 2023. Now, I, I don't think that that's happened. That's going to happen. I think that ship has sailed, but it, it is only going to get more congested. And when you are playing games that quote unquote don't mean anything, at least there's a certain se segment that believes they don't mean anything. Now, in, in terms of a, a result changing your standing or qualification for something, they don't mean anything. But Go ask Greg Berhalter how important these these two games that he had were after missing an entire year. I mean, his job is to get a group of players that rarely see each other on the same page. And it's difficult in normal circumstances, and it's even more difficult uh, now. So I would argue that he would argue that this does mean something. Even a friendly game uh, does mean something. For the actual players... I think different players react differently. We're, we'll talk more about that in, in a little bit, but I think that depending on who you are as a player, that's what's rel relative to the value that you see in playing in a, in a friendly game. I still see value in, in, in the international game happening. Um, and I deal, and I still see value in, in friendly games happening, but I can understand the, uh, the consternation that's, that's out there, especially 
when somebody gets uh, when somebody gets hurt, even even when they get hurt in a in a quote unquote meaningful game, there there are people that say, well, why are they playing even playing these games uh, th- these games right now? Uh, well, in terms of the Nations League, if you want to actually go through the results, sure. Uh, sure. we have one uh, semifinal is confirmed, and it's France. Uh, they advance uh, thanks to a one nil uh, win over Portugal in Lisbon and Golo Kante. Uh, with the only goal there. Nice victory for France over what I continue to say is an absolutely loaded Portugal side. I mean, when that team sheet came out and you see a front four of Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, João Felix, and Cristiano Ronaldo and Diogo Jota coming off the bench, uh, the offensive firepower they have. And by the way, let me stop there for a second because I want to get something off my chest. Oh, I like it. During the last international break, I gushed about uh, how talented Portugal are right now. And I even went as far as to say that Ronaldo might have a better chance of winning the next World Cup than Messi. And whoever pulls the Twitter clips from this podcast heard that, thought, boy, that's a really interesting take that's going to generate a big reaction. Unfortunately, Mossy's not famous. So let's pretend like Alexi said it. And the <laughs> clip that went out that week was Alexi Lala says Portugal has a better chance than Argentina of winning in 2022. And you know, it was just you reacting to my saying it, which... Uh, and listen, that, that's, uh, that's uh, problematic for you because, you know, for all my like air of knowledge and throwing out a lot of names, very little secret, I'm kind of an idiot. Most of what I say doesn't really come to pass. So I don't know if you want my takes attributed to you, but nevertheless, for now, until it's proven wrong, I'd like to be able to keep my own takes. So whoever, Luis Aguilar, <laughs> Alex Dowd, whoever was in charge of that one, uh, I did notice. Oh, uh, that's funny. I didn't even see that. Uh, yes. That's that's good. Uh, you, yeah, you're the man behind the curtain pulling the levers and stuff. I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I am, but your, but your, uh, your puppet. But, but uh, so anyway, France uh, advanced there in the semis. Uh, two other countries that have really a foot and a half in the semifinals. Uh, Belgium, uh, they beat England uh, 2-0, goals by Tielemans and Merton. So they're now very much in the driver's seat. They host uh, Denmark. Uh, all they need is a point from that game, so they'll get it. So it'll, Belgium will, will most likely be in the semifinals as well. Uh, Italy had a really comfortable win over Poland, 2-0. Goals by Jorginho and Berardi. Uh, so now they're in the driver's seat in their group. They, they close things out away to Bosnia-Herzegovina, and I expect them to get a result there and to advance. Italy, by the way, really has something going on right now. They're unbeaten in 21. They had a perfect record in Euro qualifying, uh, doing well in this Nations League. And it's not just the results. They're playing some really lovely football under Roberto Mancini who, by the way, didn't even coach this game because he contracted COVID. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, they, they're very talented in the midfield. They control all their games now. They're racking up some really impressive possession numbers. Uh, one of their goals uh, in this game against Poland involved a move where there were 30 passes. And so uh, Italy, remember, a country that also, like the U.S., didn't qualify for the last World Cup, they've really rebuilt very quickly and are looking very much like a force right now. All right. Well, it's still Italy. So if all goes as planned here, Germany, France. Yeah, a very sexy final four. Because yeah, Germany, France, Belgium, and Italy. I mean, I know you you have your love affair with uh, Portugal, but you'd be happy with that final four, right? Oh, absolutely. So it's looking like it's gonna be France, Belgium, Italy, and then either Spain or Germany. And that's the and that actually we're taping this on a Tuesday. That game is later today. By the time you hear this podcast, it will have happened. Spain hosts Germany for the last spot. Uh, Spain uh, only need, Spain need a win. Germany only need a draw. Uh, Germany was able to leapfrog Spain uh, in the la- this last set of matches. They beat Ukraine three one. It was Sané Werner Werner with the goals. And then Spain, remarkable match. They drew 1-1 against Switzerland. Sergio Ramos missed two penalties in the same game. He had converted 25 in a row heading into the match, and lo and behold, misses two. So that allowed Germany to leapfrog Spain in the standings, and now they can play for a draw in this match while Spain need to beat them. So, but either way, whoever gets in there, Spain or Germany is great. So to your point, we're headed for a very sexy Final Four in the Nations League. Uh, the most important question, and I will ask it of you uh, when it comes to the uh, 
uh, that the Nations League is this. <clears throat> is England a good team, Mossy? <laughs> yeah, I, again, I don't know totally what to make of the Nations League and how much stock we should put into it. And we talk about how all over the place club football is right now, international football even more so. So I'm still going to hold on to the fact that they got to the semifinals of the last World Cup. They've qualified for this Euros and just on paper, they have loads of talent. So I, my overall impression of England is still positive, but you're right. There have been some results and performances where some people feel like they've lost a little bit of momentum here, that a little bit of the bloom has come off the rose with Southgate and England and what, what's going on with them. I mean, look, there's no, there's no shame in losing to Belgium. Uh, great, great team. But the, and it's interesting because we started off the pod talking about, uh, you know, an, an air of confidence and fun and uh, a return to, to rarefied air and, and, and a positive type of feeling with regards to the national team. And yet, I sense that certainly over the last couple of weeks, there's there's some rumblings. There's almost a a a whiff of the traditional pessimistic English press and mentality when it comes to the national team. Something that I think, for the most part, this England setup has avoided, uh, and you know they've they've kind of been put on a pedestal and and pumped up, and I think rightfully so. And to your point in terms of what they have done, but it, it, is that cynicism and pessimism starting to creep back in with regards to this England team? Perhaps. Um, I know Southgate's been criticized for, for going a bit pragmatic lately, but Jonathan Wilson wrote an interesting piece uh, sort of defending that approach and arguing that the dirty little secret about international football is that pragmatism wins. You know, it's one thing in club football where uh, you can practice with these players every day and there you can do all these exotic things tactically and really be ambitious. But uh, he said that sort of in international, but you kind of have to keep things simple as a coach and, and not <laughs> be overly ambitious with what you're trying to accomplish, which was an interesting take from a guy like Jonathan Wilson, who's this real tactics guy who, but he, his in international football, at least his message is keep it simple. So he actually supports the direction that Gareth Southgate is going in. So interesting. Uh, interesting. Well, I mean, look, pragmatism may indeed win, but it doesn't win hearts and minds. Most. <laughs> Um, um, all right. Anything else? Uh, Nations, uh, Nations League. No, no. Uh, okay. Staying in Europe, but moving on to well, the uh, field for Euro 2021 is set. The last four qualification playoff matches took place. Uh, North Macedonia won 1-0 away to Georgia and Tbilisi. Uh, Hungary won 2-1 uh, over Iceland in Budapest. They were actually trailing 1-0, scored two goals late. Dramatic there. Uh, Slovakia won 2-1 away to Northern Ireland and Belfast uh, in in. Uh, extra time, so plenty of drama there. And then Scotland, uh, they uh, qualify uh, at the expense of Serbia. Uh, Scotland was winning this game in Belgrade 1-0 late. Luka Jovic equalized and went to penalties, but the Scots prevailed, setting off wild celebrations amongst everybody from Ian Joy to Derek Ray and everybody else. I will say, I hate to be that guy, but it was a little much. You, you would have thought Scotland won the World Cup here. I know it's the first major tournament they've qualified for in 22 years since the 98 World Cup, but it is an expanded 24 team Euro. You know, you. Oh, Mossy. <laughs> no, nah, tell me you didn't do that. You're going to. You, <laughs> hey, I'm going to be that Listen, guy. when this clip gets cut, um, I want to make sure that everybody understands that that was from David Mossy. Okay. I am a romantic and I can celebrate, okay? And I don't have to qualify it, okay? It was interesting, Masi, um, I was watching um, 
actually rewatching one of the 30 for 30s. It's a shorter 30 for 30 called the Ceasefire Massacre about the, and I think I have this right, the uh, Longan Island Massacre. massacre. And, and it's, it's related to the 94 World Cup and the importance of having your nation represented at a big tournament. And not just as an opportunity to bring, drink beer, although that's certainly part of it, but an opportunity to celebrate with the world and be part of that pageantry and part of that celebration that is that is going on. Whether it's a World Cup or whether it's you know more regional uh, like a, a Euros, you know this is this is what these fans and you just mentioned that there are other parts of the world that celebrate their national team more. Um, you know, I, I would argue that when it comes to to Scotland, for example, you know, this is this is a country and culture that that kind of looks to its national team and, and that they haven't delivered, which is why they're celebrating this to kind of spread that that culture that they have and and celebrate their personality and, and who they are through the game and through their national team. So that's why I think it is completely appropriate to celebrate this. Well, that- that 30 for 30 mentioned, if we're talking about the same thing, that was done by a terrific filmmaker named Alex Gibney, who was so fascinated by the story, he then made like a full-blown two-hour documentary about it, which is on Amazon Prime, I believe. I watched it because, remember, I just read that book by Patrick Radden Keith, Say Nothing About the Troubles in Northern Ireland. Yep. And that incident you're talking about had to do with that conflict. And so I was on this big sort of Northern Ireland kick there, and, and I, I gobbled up a bunch of documentaries and that was one of them that I watched on Amazon Prime. So yeah, absolutely. That, but, the, but the only reason that I brought that up is, you know, the the scenes of uh, of, of when when Ireland qualified, um, and how important it was to uh, to the to the people, and obviously going over and then uh, the game against Italy at Giant Stadium and all that all that kind of stuff. So I, I can understand. Give, give them a little opportunity to celebrate, Mossy, <laughs> before you just completely step on all of their uh, all of their dreams so congratulations congratulations scotland well done <laughs> all right anything else mossy uh well just to whip through south america quickly it's tricky because like i said we're taping this on a tuesday all the games are today so they will have occurred by the time this podcast drops so i can't say too much about them but just to harken back to the previous set of matches uh, i don't know if you saw this but there was major var controversy yeah. in the argentina paraguay match it ended 1-1 at la bombonera uh, Messi uh, did score a go-ahead goal in the second half that was wiped away because when they reviewed it on VAR, they spotted a foul like 30 seconds before the goal. And Sorry. so it, it sort of raised this whole question of how Phase far... Phase of play. Phase of play, my friend. Yeah, Sorry. it's interesting. In reading the rules, basically, you know, Paraguay had possession and the foul occurred on the turnover. And, and then Argentina kept it for a while and exchanged a bunch of passes, this lovely team move that culminated with Messi putting in the back of the net. And from what I read... Had a Paraguayan player touched it at any point in that move, then they wouldn't have been able to go back and review it because it, that would have triggered a new set of a new phase, they call it. But the fact that no Paraguayan player touched it at any point in that sequence meant that that foul was still fair game to review because that was still considered the start of this sort of general phase of play. So, yeah, I mean, Argentinians were obviously were furious. I mean, technically, by the letter of the law, I guess it was correct. But I mean, does that bot? Do you think that is a tricky VAR thing? I mean, how far back? If Argentina had passed the ball around for two minutes and then scored, would you have felt weird about them going back and chalking off because of a foul that occurred two minutes early? Like, where do you draw the line on? Oh, that? It's pretty. It's pretty clear in the laws about <laughs> about what the phase of play is. So I don't know what the the big deal is. You're Argentina. 
find a way to score another goal against <laughs> Paraguay. I mean, they didn't, and they only got the uh, the point there, but they're still sitting pretty. They're fine. They're in second place. Uh, and like I said, we're recording right now while games are going on. But there's when it comes to Comnable right now, um, it's the usual suspects. However, um, you know, Colombia sitting at seventh uh, is interesting. And look, we've seen, and, and just as a reminder, uh, 10 teams, uh, 4.5 spots in the top four go to the World Cup, and then the uh, you know the the fifth place goes into the inter intercontinental playoff uh, type of situation. And, and oftentimes it happens actually against uh, Concacaf. I don't know what happens this uh, this time, but you know right now I think the the biggest omission when it comes to that top four would be would be Colombia. You know you're never going to have your Vino Tinto or, or or Bolivia's doing doing much. But what, what stands out to you when you look at uh, Comnable qualifying right now? Yeah, Uruguay had the result of the round, this last round. Uh, they won 3-0 away to yeah. uh, Colombia. Goals by Cavani Suarez and this young striker they have, Nunez, who plays for Benfica, is very good. Uh, they now uh, host Brazil later today, a match I'm going to watch a couple hours after we're done taping here. Uh, let's just say I could not be more pessimistic about this match uh, from a Brazil perspective. You know, 2020 being what it is, uh, Chichi lost like half the players that he originally called up for this game, including Neymar. Uh, he lost both Casemiro and Fabinho, so we're down to our third string uh, holding midfielder there, which is Alain, the Everton player. And even he picked up a knock in the last game and is a doubt. It might even be 100%. So, uh, and, and then Chichi, frankly, has exacerbated the problem with some head-scratching lineup decisions of his own. So I don't feel at all good about the lineup that's going to be playing this game. Suarez is out for Uruguay. He tested positive for COVID, so... Uh, you know, I, I hate to phrase it like this, but that helps Brazil's cause. Um, uh, so we'll see. But I, still, I, I expect Uruguay to win this game and for Brazil to end 2020 on a down note and all sorts of questions being asked about Chichi's future. By the time we listen to this podcast, this game will have occurred. And obviously, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I will be. All right. So the five games that are going on right now that will have uh, finished by the time you are listening to this, Ecuador hosting Colombia. Uruguay, as you mentioned, hosting Brazil, Peru uh, hosting Argentina, uh, Venezuela ho uh, hosting Chile, and Paraguay hosting Bolivia. Uh, do you think Argentina goes to Peru and gets a, uh, the win there? Interestingly enough, uh, Peru's having all sorts of political unrest. Last I read, there was a chance of that match being postponed, but uh, if it occurs, uh, yes, I, I like Argentina to win that game. Uh, I don't like what I've seen from Peru uh, so far. And I do like what I've seen from Argentina, this, these drop points against Paraguay notwithstanding. I think they're playing well under Scaloni and Messi and company get a result there. All right. Well, listen, nobody's going to uh, cry for you as you cry for your, uh, for your Brazil team. They're doing fine. They're sitting at the top. They got plenty of talent. And when all is said and done, they're going to they're going to be uh, be there in 2022 for you to feast upon. Um, all right. That's our international roundup uh, for this week. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. Okay, cool. We'll uh, take another little break here. When we come back, we'll have our Ask Alexi segment. Don't go away. Moving on. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, save $30 on the American-made Steel FS56 RCE Trimmer. Real Steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
All right, it's that time again, time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag, Ask Alexi or Ask Mossy, and you send us your comments, your questions, your concerns out there on the uh, old social media platforms. Uh, and we pick a few of them each week, as we have done this week. Mossy, what do the folks want to know about this week? Uh, first up, at soccer underscore outlaw 92. Have you done an MLS playoff preview, and do you have Sporting KC winning? Ah, interesting. Um, I have done a, uh, a bracket and playoff type of preview. Actually, we recorded it and it should be out by the time that you are listening to this. So you can see me go through the entire bracket myself and uh, Stuart Holden did ours. So you can see it and then uh, basically take what we said and do the opposite and go to Vegas and win some money. So it look, this is this is MLS and inevitably there are going to be things that you cannot predict. I'm not going to go through it all, uh, but to answer your question, I do have Sporting KC going through, but I don't have them going through to uh, to the final. Uh, we have uh, we have games coming up this week. Uh, we'll be working both the playing game, uh, playing round that's happening and some round one that's happening. So games on Friday on Fox and uh, on Sunday on Fox. But as far as the playing round, uh, you have Nashville, hosting Miami, the two expansion teams. I think Miami goes to Nashville uh, and, and, and gets the win and moves on. And I think New England hosting Montreal. I think New England as the home team uh, finds a way to win against Montreal. So those are the teams that I have uh, coming through. I will say this, when it comes to the, um, the matchups going forward, I think that the away teams, uh, you're going to see more away teams winning. I don't think that home field advantage is going to be even close to uh, the advantage that it is in normal times. And I think that's going to be reflected, not just in the fact that the home field advantage is in there, but you also have some very, very good teams. For example, I have Colorado going to Minnesota and winning. Uh, you also keep in mind that there are a lot of teams that are going to be missing players, whether it's Minnesota, uh, whether it's LAFC, missing players that are on or have been on international duty. So it's going to be a real kind of crapshoot as to what that team ultimately looks like. And it's not necessarily going to be reflective of how good they are because they're gonna be missing some, uh, some key, piece, key pieces. I will tell you, and I'm gonna make you go and watch this in order to get ultimately who I, uh, uh, who I picked for the final, but I will tell you that it's not Philadelphia. And I will tell you that I do have NYCFC making a run. So that's my, uh, that's my little tease there. Normally what we do is we tease people to come to the podcast to get uh, some, of the, some of the content. But since we did this for Bigger Fox and the digital uh, world out there, uh, it'll be out there and you can find out what I have and then make fun of me for when it doesn't happen. Mossy, any thoughts on MLS playoffs uh, and what's uh, about to happen here? Well, uh, this guy mentioned Sporting KC. I've begun my research for our games and did you know sporting kc had the biggest year-to-year -year turnaround in mls history uh last year they finished with the 21st overall uh best record in the league and and this season it was third so that 18 place turnaround is actually the biggest in mls history really? so yeah i would have thought that ben olsen's dc united they had they had one one year where they went from worst to first or something uh, like that but look you're the guru and you're you're the you know uh, well, anyway, so I, you know, I, I mentioned last week that that sporting KC San Jose was going to be like a trendy upset pick. And and I was right about that. I've seen so many people say, boy, yeah. San Jose is the last team you want to face in the playoffs. Matias Almeida, et cetera. And I've actually heard that so much that I'm now kind of feeling like sporting KC is going to win that game. Uh, so 
So yeah, uh, for you know, for this guy that asked the question, I I think Sporting NC are a very good team and 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 could make a run and go far. But I don't have him getting to uh, MLS Cup. I I I, I still have Seattle as uh, I know it's the boring pick, but uh, that's not boring. That's that's okay. I mean, listen, uh, you know, this is this is the fun stuff. This is uh, this is a time of the year uh, for. For me, the most wonderful time of the year, uh, which is the MLS playoffs. Anything can happen. Any team can win it. Uh, I, right before we came on to record this, uh, I was writing and, and recording a little uh, vignette. I don't know what we call them, uh, where you voice something and then we put pictures and stuff over it to kind of give you uh, a, a synopsis, you know, with some gravitas of what we're about to embark on here with the, uh, the playoffs. Look for that later on, uh, later on this week. It's always fun because you get in a very short period of time and with an efficiency of words, you have to try to capture what the season has been. And we know that this has been a season unlike anything else when it comes to uh, uh, the challenges and obstacles, which reminds me, uh, I mentioned Philly uh, as we were coming on air, uh, Jim Curtin, was named the coach of the year. And uh, I want to send out my congratulations to him. Well-deserved uh, and, and without an asterisk, okay? <laughs> when, it, when it comes to uh, uh, this award, uh, what he has done for this team um, and, and for that city is to be commended and to be praised. So congratulations uh, to, Jim, to Jim Curtin. Certainly one of the the nicest guys you will ever meet. I think one of the smartest guys you will ever meet when it comes to uh, to our game. And there, there are plenty of other worthy candidates out, of, out, out there, but uh, very, very happen, happy for uh, Jim Curtin and the job that he has done and to be recognized for the job that he has done for the uh, Philadelphia Union. Uh, Mossy, what else we got? Uh, at Ramchik Key or Kai, um, was it ever hard to get motivated to play in friendlies or is wearing the jersey the best motivation? Well... I, I'm going to be honest with you. The, the opportunity and the privilege and the honor of representing my country never got old. And I never took it for granted. And I actually, when we get to the end of this, this show, my one for the road is going to talk a little bit more about it, but um, you know, I, I often say that, uh, and I do believe that I live in the greatest country in the world. And the ability for me to go on the field and to wear that jersey and to put my hand over my heart, to sing that anthem um, and to represent this country that means so much to me and, and how, uh, and, and through sport, show how much I love and respect it. Um, I would have gone anywhere in the world for that and at any time. And were there moments that where, where it was challenging? Eh, not really. I mean, let's, let's be honest. You, you, if you have the opportunity uh, and you live that privileged life of being a professional athlete, if the worst thing in the world is that you're being called up by your national team and you have to get on a plane and fly in first class to the other side of the world, to represent that country, then you live a pretty charmed life. And I, I like to think, and I, and I actually believe that that was a sentiment shared by most, if not all of the players. And I also like to believe that that is a sentiment that continues to be shared by, uh, by some players. 
And, you know, you, you mentioned, um, we were talking in an earlier segment about Paul Pogba and him making some, uh, you know, some comments um, about the family aspect that he feels when he plays for France. And it riled some, some folks up and ruffled some feathers in the Manchester United camp. But these are people that he knows, that speak the same language, many that have gone through the same things with him. It should come to, uh, as a surprise to no one that there is an affinity and that there is a connection and that there is a comfort uh, and that there is a love of being in that environment for him or, any, or anyone else. And you know, that, that is something that is special. Uh, and that is something that, that you want. And when it's gone, it, it hurts that it's gone because you can't have it back again. It is fleeting. It comes and goes. And so what you, what you normally find out is that when, as soon as you start taking it for granted, that's when it goes away. And to quote the great band Cinderella, don't know what you got till it's gone. Um, so anyway, that's, uh, that's, that was my motivation. Um, and it's not to say I didn't get paid for it. I, I did get paid for it, but I would have done it for free. Honest to God, I would have. Um, anyway, so that's to, to your, to answer your question there, different players are motivated by different things. And I, and I'm not naive. I understand that in this day, especially, uh, in this day where there are many more mercenary type of international players that they might look at it as much more of a, of a drag. And that's unfortunate. That's too bad because I do think that if that's your attitude and if that's how you ultimately feel when, when it all is said and done, that that will manifest in, in your performance at some point and usually at the worst possible point. But, you know, I'm realistic and I understand that not everybody feels that way. That's just how I felt. And I hope, and, I, and like I said, I like to believe that everybody felt that way. I know it wasn't the truth, but there were a lot more that did than didn't. Um, all right. What else, Mossy? I went on this at Martin Sportsnet. What are you doing while Stu and John call the game? <laughs> uh, okay. So, you know, my, my job is oftentimes in, in the normal setting, I'm not going to talk about, I'll, I'll, I'll differentiate between a tournament type of situation. My job, uh, it, I, the way I see it is much more about quality over quantity. Okay. It's about being efficient and making the moments that I have count. Uh, to answer your question, I'm watching the game <laughs> first and foremost. Uh, Rob Stone and I are, are also from a practical perspective, uh, you call it babysitting. Um, and that's not, that's not a pejorative. That's what you are doing because you are there to make sure that things are safe and sound. And if they're not, you're there to step in. So if, and this has happened plenty of times over my career where the feed goes out or the audio goes out, or there's just some sort of technical situation where they have to throw back to the studio and you're putting your jacket back on immediately, but you have to kind of be there and you have to have that safety valve there. So first and foremost, just from a practical perspective, you're there as that safety valve in case something goes wrong. Then obviously, you know, it's my job to watch the game and to be prepared. I need to know, you know, what the, uh, uh, the highlights are, what we're going to, 
what's going to happen at halftime or what's going to happen post game or if there's cut-ins what we're going to do so i'm watching the game just like uh just like everybody else and i'm formulating my opinions uh yes i have uh social media going so twitter's going and i'm watching what people are saying and uh and i know it's not the greatest focus group but there is a, a voice that does come out when it comes to social media and I'm engaging uh, with people and I'm, you know, stream of consciousing stuff that, uh, that I see or that I, uh, or that I feel and, you know, having that interaction that's, and that's a new type of thing relative to traditional television. It's that, it's that interaction that's happening uh, even when you are not on, uh, on camera. So, you know, those are the things, uh, those are the things that we are doing and, and we're preparing. And once again, and I keep saying being efficient because we have such limited time, it's what am I going to talk about? You know, and it's a conversation back and forth between me and Rob, what Rob, what are you going to, if it's Rob Stone or anybody else? And it depends if it's just us, there could be three guys. Uh, there could be four people. There could be other people, you know, does, it doesn't matter, but understanding how the segment is going to go, where we are going to go, the, uh, the host, if it's Rob or anybody else, understanding where they're going to lead you. But all of that is being done while the game is going on. I'm also talking back and forth uh, to uh, folks in the control room for highlights that I may want to see, additional to the actual highlights that we have as a package. So maybe there's a, a theme or something that people have seen or that I've seen uh, about playing out of the back or playing through lines, or there's a really, really important moment in the game that we kind of want to go back to after we've seen the highlights of the game and really focus in on a red card or a controversial call or something, something like that that we really want to talk about or something that maybe in the moment during the game wasn't seen, but with our benefit of being able to see it constantly and, and put it together, we're able to better assess and give a little bit more information when it comes to uh, something that we've seen. All of those different things are happening and we're talking back and forth uh, to our producers. Uh, and Mossy is, is in our ear constantly asking us questions, uh, uh, you know, provocative type of stuff, you know, uh, promoting stuff or, you know, uh, selling us on some different things uh, or asking us just, just questions that maybe elicit some kind of information that may find its way into the, uh, the performance. Uh, Mossy, I think you should answer this question too, because your your life uh, is a little bit different during uh, during games than mine. Uh, yeah, no. So uh, before every game, John Strong and I come up with uh, a bunch of in-game graphics, uh, and he gives me instructions of, okay, when I start talking about such and such, I want you to throw this graphic on the screen to kind of support that. And so I have to be attentive the whole time into listening to what John Strong's talking about to know when he goes down a path where, you know, it's, it's a cue for me to sort of throw a graphic up on the screen. I, I tell our graphics folks what to, what to put up there. And then the other thing is, uh, getting the script ready for halftime. You know, Rob Stone likes uh, to have a lot of information on teleprompter. He, he ad-libs a lot of it, but it's still, it's helpful to have sort of the information there of just sort of the nuts and bolts of things. And, and so Rob and I work together on that. Um, and, and, and yeah, and then, you know, there's some free time for other conversations too. Like during the Panama game, myself, you and Rob uh, somehow started talking about which band was bigger at their peak Van Halen or Bon Jovi. So uh, sometimes there's some, <laughs> 
random non-soccer related hey, conversations listen, that know, occur. Man uh, and Rob, woman cannot live on soccer alone. Okay. Rob Stone yeah. was also asking my my opinion of the uh, Michigan Jim Harbaugh debacle that's going on right now. So I gave him my take on all of that. So uh, there's some some other chatter that takes place during the game. It is fun. Well, Rob and I had an argument about um, condiments or something like that. So, <laughs> so like you said, there's stuff that that applies to to the sport and what's going on, and there's other stuff that uh, that that doesn't. Uh, it, sometimes when it's a really boring game, it might even be even more interesting than the game that you're actually uh, actually watching. Anyway, that's a really that's a that's a good question. So there's a little peek behind the curtain as uh, as to what's uh, as to what's happening, and you will never see a uh, a, a more um, startled group of talent than when the feed goes out and all hell breaks loose and people are, are running around trying to, uh, as we come on air, to get their jackets on. And, uh, and that's when someone like Rob Stone will say, well, obviously we're experiencing some technical difficulties here and either he will throw to a commercial to kind of get our bearings and, and get set or he'll turn and say, hey, how's that first 20 minutes been so far? Alexi, and then you just kind of have to riff and go with it there. All right, Mossy, that's the end of uh, Ask Alexi there, right? That's it. All right, that's a good uh, group of questions. We're going to take one more little break here, uh, and when we come back, I will give you my one for the road, and it will be uh, a, a travel log of sorts as it applies to the U.S. men's national team. So uh, don't go away, but we're right, we will be right back. Moving on. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to finish up the pod here, as we always do with my one for the road. We've been talking a lot, actually, on this uh, pod about national team representation and, and what it means to represent your country through the national team and how much or, or little it means to, to, uh, to players. And, and look, for the most part, it is, you know, after you take away all the money and the fame and, and, and all the other stuff that, that comes with being a professional athlete, it, it, it is, and I would, I would venture to say, uh, for most players, the most memorable and important moment when that happens, uh, and certainly in the in the traditional sense, maybe it's changing, but I, I still believe that it uh, that it is. And you know, when you see a, a Gigi Buffon singing the national anthem, or or other players with tears streaming down their face in that moment, oftentimes it's because it's it it means so much. It can be the culmination of a lifelong dream. It can be. Um, it can be relative to things that are going on in your country that have nothing to do with soccer. It's so many different things and they, they manifest in different ways. And it's, it can be incredibly emotional. Um, so many, many years ago, uh, back in the 1900s when I was playing uh, and playing both in Italy uh, for club uh, and then obviously for the U.S. team, um, it would have been 1995-ish summer of 1995 we just finished with my first year in Italy and uh, for my team which was a team called Padova which is a city in the, in the north of Italy they had just come up and so the only thing that we hoped to do was stay in Syria it got to the end of the year and we were tied 
with um, uh, with Genoa, uh, uh, and uh, it was to stay up. We were either going to go up or they were going to go up, and it was a one-game playoff type of uh, scenario. And winner take all, basically. You win, you stay in, you lose, you go back to Syria B, which is where the team had been. So uh, I, I played in that game. Thankfully, we won, we stayed up. And immediately, rather than go back to Padova, because the game is at a neutral site, rather than go back to Padova, uh, I got in a car with uh, Sunil Gulati, who was then with the United States Soccer Federation. He had flown out to basically escort me back to the United States because the game in Italy was on a Saturday. And on Sunday in Foxborough, Massachusetts, at old Foxborough Stadium, the United States was taking on Nigeria. And I had committed to play. I wanted to play. And so we found a way to finish the game in Italy, drive directly to the airport, get on a plane, have that plane land in uh, England, uh, get on another plane, transatlantic, land at Logan in Boston, get off of that plane, get into a state trooper's car, uh, bomb down the uh, highway at uh, exorbitant speeds in order to get to the game that was being played at Foxborough Stadium, get out of the car, uh, get into the locker room, uh, and then play against Nigeria. Now, look, once again, uh, flying in first class, uh, police escort, this is not roughing it by any stretch of the imagination. And I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, not only was it because I wanted to play with the U.S. team, but I kind of wanted to do this, this thing. I grew up watching uh, Live Aid and watching Phil Collins play a song in England and then take the Concord and play a song uh, to end the festival in, uh, uh, in Philadelphia, I think it was. So that whole concept of this, this, this move appealed to me. But at its core was the fact that I got to represent the U.S. and that I would do anything in order to have that opportunity. And it was wonderful. It worked out like a charm. There could have been a lot of deviations and problems along the way, but it all worked out. Not only did I win the game in, uh, uh, in Italy, but... I also made it to the flights and everything was on time and I got to represent my country uh, again. And that for me is and will always be, not that game, but the opportunity to represent my country is and will always be the thing that I am most proud of. And uh, it remains to this day uh, a, a huge part of my life uh, and an important part of my life that, uh, that I look to. And um, I can just tell you, if, if you ever get the opportunity to do it, take it, because you never know when it's going to go away. So anyway, that was a, that was a, uh, it was a fun 48 hours, I guess. And I certainly don't regret it. There was a huge party back in Padova to celebrate the remaining in Syria that I, that I missed, and I don't regret it for a second. Um, so anyway, Masi, uh, anything uh, before we go? That is it. Uh, I want to thank everybody, as always, for uh, tuning in, for downloading, for subscribing, for rating, for reviewing, for doing all the things on all the different platforms that we have out there. Wherever you do get this podcast, we appreciate it, whether you're listening or whether you're watching. Thank you so much for uh, 
entertaining us uh, and uh, and and enabling us to do this uh, this podcast on a continual basis. We will be back here again at the normal time uh, in that we will record next Monday and it will be out on uh, Tuesday and we will have some MLS action to uh, talk about as the MLS playoffs get ready to kick off in the 25th year of Major League Soccer. Playoffs are upon us. All right, we'll talk again uh, next week. And until then, size the day. 